0: Welcome to the Hell Yes Life Podcast, where you'll hear inspiring stories and life lessons from amazing Hell Yes entrepreneurs who are running their for-purpose businesses and living their Hell Yes lives. I'm your host, Norman Bell. hell yes lifers is one of your goals in 2020 to become a hell yes speaker well if so then you'll want to grab a free cheat sheet i've put together for you it's called start with a bang seven tips to help you captivate your audience from the start head over to hellyeslife.com to download your free cheat sheet right now all right let's get into today's episode Hey there, Hell Yes Lifers. This is Norman Bell, your host of the Hell Yes Life podcast. I am excited to be here. Uh, We're recording this in uh, December of 2019, but this is probably going to be released in January of 2020. So happy 2020. Happy new decade. And I'm excited to uh, start off the year with a, uh, <clears throat> a returning guest, uh, Chase Beringer, who is the founder of the Bucket List Lifestyle. Uh, here's a little bit about Chase. Chase was a small town guy in Oregon, working long hours as a caregiver and settling in every area of life. Uh, when divorce and depression came, he wrote a bucket list a list that was used as a blueprint for a life of exhilaration, connection, and adventure. Chase became an expert travel hacker, life coach, and adventure addict with the passport stamps and scars to prove it. Now, Chase has been on the show before. You may remember if you're a... um, a regular listener of the podcast, Hell Yes Lifers. Uh, I think he was on episode uh, 66, if you want to go back and listen to the first episode. But we're having Chase back because I happened to see on Facebook that he has had a remarkable new adventure, and I thought it would be worth uh, sharing with you. So let's just dive into it. Chase, welcome back to the Hell Yes Life podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Really, really excited and definitely You know, last time we talked, uh, I was already experiencing a lot of adventures and starting to take other people on adventures. And this was like my very first expedition, which is much, much closer to a mission, much Ah. closer to where you wake up every day and all you think about, all you talk about, all you worry about is the, you know, the goal at hand. So it was a different experience, but a powerful one.
0: Awesome! Awesome! I'd love to. Yeah, I like that distinction of the expedition and mission. So let's let's just dive into it. Chase, take it away. Tell us what you did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, my original plan uh, for all of this was to achieve a Guinness World Record for the highest altitude achieved by motorcycle. Just very simple. I've been riding motorcycles since I was four years old. I absolutely love it. It's my passion. And so it was travel, and every year. Uh, I like to do something really, really hard. And uh, this was uh, something really, really hard and something that uh, involved two things that I love deeply. So I was like, sure, let's uh, let's make the plan. Let's write it down. Let's do the research, see if it's even possible. I kept it quiet for three months um, and didn't tell anybody because I didn't even know if it was possible. And I didn't want to be that guy who says, oh, I'm doing all this stuff and then it not come to fruition. Yeah. The permits and the, the getting the money together, getting a motorcycle. I don't got a motorcycle to do it. So uh, from the beginning, I didn't even know if it was possible, but um, yeah, I think the, the original plan was very uh, simple. It was just get me a motorcycle, put me on the mountain and I will do it. It mm-hmm. was like, there was so many steps, so many complicated uh, challenges to to overcome just to get to that point that I didn't even start thinking about the actual technical aspects of the expedition until the week of.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So uh, keep keep going. I'm just going to let you tell your whole story, and then I'll 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 rewind us and Ooh. ask questions along the way. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so perfect. then what so, happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the the, the biggest challenges, honestly. We're not even on the mountain, the biggest challenges were getting me to the mountain, getting the permits necessary. So for those of you who don't know, Chile is going through a massive uprising uh, right now where there are huge protests, government shutdowns, uh, so getting permits for something like this through government agencies was a huge challenge uh, up until literally the final day. Uh, I was still boycotting, uh having my own protests, sitting in the uh, the offices, the government offices making sure that I would even get a permit. Um, and, uh, but getting the money for something like this, like I didn't spend a dollar of my own money to do something like this. Uh, I didn't have a motorcycle for this Uh, getting sponsorships. I had never done that before. So everything was brand new completely. And, and, and everything that I had been preaching for the last decade, uh, I had to use, I had to use incredible resourcefulness. I had to use uh, everything in my power to do something that I thought might not even be possible and and this is this is literally right up my alley like this is the thing that i love doing is is the things that i i think are even potentially impossible not only what others think because because screw what others think but uh i didn't have the money for it just like i didn't have the money when i started to travel the world i didn't have the motorcycle for it just like i didn't have the things i needed to start traveling the world when i first started doing this kind of stuff and it's not about having those resources, I, Tony Robbins, I think is the one who says that it's not about the resources. It's about resourcefulness and finding Mm. it because those resources exist. And, and I got the money together, uh, through uh, amazing businesses that I was super aligned with, uh, friends who own businesses. I even had random strangers give me money, uh, to do this. And I'm forever grateful for them, uh, for, you know, when they heard my passion about this and when they heard I was doing something so big, uh, and so wild, it, they just they just wanted to help, so i 'm forever grateful to those people and and if you are one of those people listening, thank you, thank you thank you there 's no way I could have been done without you so when i 'm in Chile uh oh, by the way, thirty days before i mean this is planned for five months, thirty days before I had no motorcycle, I had no guides i had no i had six hundred dollars mm-hmm. in uh in funding for this. This is thirty days before this experience that doesn't that 's half of the flight there alone uh yeah. let alone everything else so not giving up was a was a, a challenge but i just i just knew in my bones that it was going to work out and uh and within that 30 days i got a motorcycle from suzuki a brand new motorcycle they they offered me uh to use for free for this i got uh just short of ten thousand dollars in cash uh about thirteen thousand dollars in uh in gear um that i could use including heated gear because it's negative 38 degrees up on the mountains 72 mile an hour winds 115 kilometers an hour winds um, oh so it, it, the conditions are, are brutal, beyond brutal. Um, if you don't have the right gear, you don't have the right bike, it's not going to happen. It, it's going to be rough. So it's going to be rough either way. When I actually got to the, to the country when I'm in Chile, I have been in revolutions before I've been, I've been in Egypt during the revolution. I've been in Peru during massive riots. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. The, the revolution that's going on in Chile, the, the amount of people, the violence, the aggression, the, the oh, wow. destructive power, uh, they're burning the cities down. It's uh it's, it's pretty serious stuff and they're clashing with police uh, in a very violent way. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, I went every single day to the government offices. I went a week early so that I can get these permits that I needed that I didn't know I needed by the way, until I left. Um, I, I got, I had my permits. I thought I had all of them that I needed. I didn't. So showing up there and real and and hearing back uh, from the government that I didn't have what I needed. I sat in those offices every single day. Uh, and you know, obviously it's a government office. It closes, it's nine to five Monday through Friday. So uh, it was five o'clock PM on Friday. I was Mm -hmm. leaving on Sunday. So this was my last chance to get this, this signature that I needed. Apparently we had the paper, everything was typed up. We just needed a signature from the guy. Well, the guy left. The guy that I needed the signature from took off the head minister of the environment for the entire country of Chile. And he took off, and i'm like shit uh you know we have people lawyers there we have uh you know people within the government office working there and i i tell them i say, hey everyone wants to go home by the way as we're talking protesters thousands of protesters are lining up and the riot police with their trucks are right outside our windows so they're oh they're gosh, uh, shit's about wow. to go down and we're in there like about like trying to get this finished so we can get out of there for safety and i'm trying to talk and uh, speak in my broken spanish and so uh, 6:40 rolls around. It's six. They've already stayed an hour and 40 minutes later. And I say, hey guys, everyone needs to get out of here, right? Everyone, we all want to get out of here. No one wants to be here. Is there any way that we could have an electronic signature, and make this happen? Implying, let's forge a signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they talk. They go back and forth. Uh, by the way, they say I need another permit, but it turns out I don't. Uh, and eventually, uh, someone within the office. Uh, took the authority uh to sign the piece of paper, the name of the uh the man in charge, the uh, minister of the environment, oh God, and I had it. my paper and oh, they God. uh they printed it out, and I had it and uh, that's all I needed and we snuck out the back last second as people were throwing stuff at the building and going crazy, and we snuck out the back and uh, I had my piece of paper, and two days later we were off for the mountain so uh, meet my guides. We take off for the mountain and we spend days acclimating to get up to the right altitude. We're up at about 15,000 feet. We try and start the motorcycle. I'm, I'm all excited. I got my gear on.
0: I'm like, we finally made it. I'm going to, I think yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you've kind of unpacked it, but just what, just, uh, just in case we didn't get super clear, what is the, what's the attempt here? What's the mission? It's to ride your motorcycle. Absolutely
1: the high, so the, yeah, thank you so much for for asking for clarity. So the record itself is the highest altitude achieved by motorcycle. What we're really doing is we're taking a motorcycle up Ojos de Salado, which is the highest volcano in the world. And it is uh, incredibly technical, incredibly challenging. And the conditions themselves, the temperature, the wind is brutal beyond anything that I've ever experienced significantly. So, and I've been in the Himalayas, I've been on Kilimanjaro, I've been, you know, and I've been in these places and and this is a whole different world of pain, of, of brutality, um, of weather. And, and to stay at those altitudes and, and those conditions for, uh, for 10 days is, uh, is brutal. So um, the, that's, that's the goal, is to get up this volcano. Uh, up to, the current record was 6,471 meters. I, I, my goal was 6,700 meters. And uh, so we get, but of course, beating the record uh, is like the goal. It's like 6,500, but the real goal is 6,700 and uh, so we get up to the mountain, get the bike out and I'm all ready. I'm all pumped up. We finally got here, right? We had to go through the police. We had to go through the government, all this stuff. We got the money. We got the bike. Everything's ready to go. I'm just smiling, like almost crying. I'm so happy because it was five months of work to get to this one point, And I'm finally ready to get on the bike for the first time and feel the fucking power of the bike and get up the mountain. And for my training day, try and start it up. Try and start it up. Try and start it up. Nothing. Ugh. Tie the bike to the back of the truck. Try and pull, start it, kick, start it, push, start it every way of possibly starting this bike. It won't start up.
0: Oh my God.
1: Oh my God. Of course. You know? So uh, before I came there, before I came to this mountain, I got something called it's, it's an ECU, which is the computer system within the motorcycle that tells it how much fuel and how much oxygen to give the motorcycle. So, when a bike is on the beach riding, it's taken in a certain amount of air and it says that there's this regular amount of oxygen within this air. But when you're way up higher, the air is much thinner and there's less oxygen. So it's taking it in and it thinks that there's still that amount of oxygen. It doesn't know the difference. So it's giving it a lot of fuel for no oxygen and the engine goes a It gets really like deep and you lose power and it dies. And when you're going up crazy steep terrain, you you have to have power. So I got this ECU, this fancy ECU from a company called Vortex. They're the best in the world. I was was so pumped. It was incredibly expensive. There's no way I could have got it if they didn't sponsor me. And they did. They sponsored me. They made a custom ECU. They took their team and made it all fancy, right? So I I had my secret weapon. The secret weapon was going to have a barometer in it reading every thousand meters that I went up. It would change the amount of fuel given to the bike. And I was going to have full power all the way up. I was like, This is done. This is amazing. Wow. We're going to make it. Right. And uh, so that ECU I I had in the bike, of course, we took out the ECU, the fancy one, and we put in the original stock ECU and it started right up first kick. So we knew that it was the fancy ECU. That was our problem. Um. That my secret weapon was not allowing the bike to, to start up. So didn't have a choice. We had to drive eight hours all the way back into town because we had no service up there. So I call the people at ECU, at the ECU company, Vortex. And they basically say, you know, like, I'm sorry, but we don't know, because we we can't, they're in Australia, you know, they're like, we don't, we can't get access, you know, to the information within the chip. So we just don't know what to tell you. And it can't be altered, uh, edited by anyone there. Um, only our company can. So we're basically screwed uh, when it came to that one. So I go, well, can the original ECU get, and, and that's just like, one of the first many things that went wrong. Uh, and so I say, okay, can we edit the original ECU? Can we hack into that and change it? They say, no, you can't. I contact Suzuki, they're like, it's just not possible. So I asked my motorcycle guide, is there any other, any other motorcycle, even an old motorcycle, something that you can hack into the, the system and, and edit the ECU of? And he goes, well, a Kawasaki, you can do it. So I rent a Kawasaki 450, same bike type, just a different brand. And I say, okay, how do we uh, how do we edit it? He goes, I don't know. And I, I'm like, okay, well, who would know? And uh, he knew a guy who knew a guy in Santiago, which is really far away, uh, who could edit this, but he has to physically be here in person. So we fly in this mechanic from Santiago. He goes from zero altitude up to 5,800 meters in one day. So he has oxygen on, uh, doing breathing exercises just to f- survive. And, in uh, this freezing cold, by the way, he's not used to that. And so uh, we bring him up there. He's got his computer. We're adjusting this rental bike. So now we have two motorcycles up on the mountain. And uh, the, the rental bike starts up at the mountain. We're feeling good. We're feeling, you know, it's right strong. I do training for a day and it's like, it's okay. We're great. You know, I'm happy now. Right. Uh, And we say, okay, we have a training day. This is two days before our final attempt, uh, our real world record day. We have two days before and we need a rest day before. So basically uh, today was, let's say it was Friday and Sunday was our world record day. So Friday, we're going to do everything exactly as we're going to do for the world record attempt. We're going to wake up at the same time, eat the same breakfast, wear everything the same, everything about everything is the same uh, so we can make sure it's good. Uh, wake up early, start riding, the bike starts running like shit. It's running real bad, just barely, just popping and 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 like just barely getting up. And this is at 5,100 meters. So this is like, we got to go to 6,500 meters. This is like not cool. So the guy who we flew out there gets, takes his computer and tries to mess with it, messes with it a bit. It's like a, it's a little bit better. It gets to 5,200 meters where there's a base camp.
0: And it just oh, stops. I just want to ask, so, uh, can you do for the Americans listening that might not know, know the oh, meters? Oh, totally. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 5, 6, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 5,000 and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: uh, we're talking about 18,000 feet or so. Yeah, uh,
0: that, man. Yeah.
1: Seventeen <laughs> to 18,000 feet. So uh, really, really there. high. Yeah, uh, way up there. And, uh, and yeah, so we're, uh, we're, yeah, seventeen, eighteen thousand 18,000 feet, and uh, he can't get it to work. And we're, we're waiting there for an hour and a half, you know, like he should've got it done by now. That's kind of the thinking is like, this is not good. And apparently he's the best in South America. I mean, everyone, when I was telling all the mechanics in town, they were like, Holy moly, you don't even know how lucky you are. This guy's the best. And so, uh, I, my motorcycle guide comes over and he's like, I got bad news, man. It's not going to work. You know, something's, we, he doesn't know what's going on. We think it's the pressure within the fuel injector something is, you know, wrong. We don't know if it's the parameters. It doesn't allow it to, to limit the fuel. So it'll protect the engine. We didn't know what was going on, but there's so many things that could be happening within the bike that we don't know. Uh, Like it's when you're at that altitude and trying to limit the fuel so much, it doesn't uh, it doesn't want you to limit the fuel that much because it thinks that you're screwing up and it thinks that it's going to damage the engine and melt the pistons. So it's, we didn't know what was wrong, but we knew that it was wrong, which is all that really matters. At the end of the day, it wouldn't run. Yeah. So we got two bikes. Both of them won't run to the altitude that we want to go to. I'm sitting there two days before free, you know, it's freezing cold. The wind is blowing so hard and I'm, I'm just sitting there with my helmet on and I'm like, okay, give me a moment so I can scream into my helmet for a second. I walk away and I'm just like, just, I'm, I'm really just trying to, to think I'm not breaking down at this point. I'm just, just processing. Okay. So we don't have this. We don't have this. How do we make this happen? And I go, okay, we're going to go fully unscientific. We're going to use zip ties and string on the fuel lines. We're going to just go totally mechanical and see if we can limit the amount of fuel going into this bike. And we we use that. We try that for a while, but it's just not enough power to get up those technical uh, hill climbs we were doing. And we tried a bunch of stuff and nothing would work. So I'm sitting there in the sand, just, you know, head between my, my legs. And, and I'm just thinking and thinking and my brain is just going a thousand miles an hour. And I've been so resourceful and so successfully resourceful up until this point that I felt like there's gotta be a way, you know, like I, I've made it this far. We're almost here. We're, we're so close. We're 700 meters away from the record uh, in altitude. Like we're so close. I, I know I can think of something. and I think, and I think and I go, the fact is we have two broken motorcycles. That's at the end of the day, I need to take a motorcycle up there and neither of these motorcycles will go to that altitude. So it's no longer a question of how do we get the motorcycles to that altitude? It's how do we set a world record? Mm. So, what I, so what I ended up doing, I said, okay, we're going to take everything off the Suzuki, the original bike. We're going to take everything uh, that we put on that bike. We're going to take out the ECU. We're going to change the tires back to stock tires. We're going to take the fluid out, the coolant, the oil, everything that we put in extra we're putting the stock stuff all back in and we're going to set uh the world record for the highest altitude achieved by stock motorcycle straight off the showroom floor and uh we and this is totally unassisted so all of the other guys in the past which i didn't know this by the way had used winches and pulley systems uh, and teams of about 30 people to get them over this one incredibly challenging part and we're saying we're not just saying oh it's a hard dirt hill climb on a mountain you guys need to understand that it's so cold in this place that the ice, as it's evaporating, coming into the air, freezes and forms ice spikes. And thousands and thousands of these ice spikes, and they're hard like, like steel, like iron. So if you fall onto one of these, you die. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And my guides were very clear. You know, that He was telling me stories about how people die and how people who he was guiding died. And you know he's he's telling me he's like this is serious. this is not you know you you need to understand this is not just uh you're going for a ride. this is life and death and and with the deep sand and the hidden rocks and the ice going up, I mean we're talking steeper hill climbs than I've ever attempted, and I was looking at this thing going even with the most powerful bike in the world with the best rider in the world, it would still have to be a perfect ride. everything about the momentum of that ride it's like it's like looking at a tidal wave as a surfer and saying, it's possible. It's, it's possible to ride that hundred foot wave. There's no question in that it's been done before it's possible, but you got to have it perfect and you're risking your life and it better be a perfect ride and you better be a damn good rider. And so I'm looking at this, this hill climb, the exact same way of saying, it's possible I could do it if I had a damn good bike and a, and a real lucky ride. But with the bike that I currently had, there's no way in hell. And I'm going, how is it possible that someone else has done this? I just, there was something in it that I didn't know. So I was talking to the mountain guides up there and they go, oh yeah, they don't ride up that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Is there another way? And then I go, no, no, no. They just take a chain and they put it to the motorcycle and they winch themselves (laughs) and it pulls them up the mountain. And I'm like, that's horseshit. I was like, that's such BS. I was like, "That's." <laughs> they, uh, and I didn't, I've, I've researched this for five months. I've seen every video, every photo, they hide it and every dang one and they're hiding it from Guinness as well. Uh, so um, mine, mine is the highest altitude achieved unassisted stock. Um, no adjustments to the bike. So I, I got to 5,890 meters. So just, just short of 5,900 meters, um, which is about 19,300 feet. Oh, um, which is really, really high. Yeah, <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, Now that's really high.
0: That sounds yeah, really high. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but it's not so much just the, the altitude. It's really the conditions themselves. So you yeah. can go to that altitude. You can go to 17,000 feet on Rainbow Mountain in Peru, and it ain't that bad. But if yeah. you go to 17,000 feet somewhere else, then it might be hell. And that's yeah. how it was up on this mountain was you know you can say oh well i've been to kilimanjaro or oh i've been up uh you know base camp 2 on everest and and you could say you know i've been to that altitude but it's very different when you experience the level of cold that that really was up there um you know when you're talking negative 30 plus uh or negative 30 minus uh and the winds that strong it's not it's not the altitude that gets you at that point and yeah. uh and i i walked up a bit further to 20,000 feet just so i can look over to see there was a summit and I wanted to see if it was a false summit and it was a false summit. That was about five more summits. that were all just ridiculously insane. So I knew at that point, our bike couldn't make it. And, uh, I'm up there and my lungs start to contract They're, they're, they're not wanting to breathe and I would cough and they wouldn't let me breathe back in because the, the air was too cold and I didn't have the right gear because the, the gear that you would need for something like that wouldn't fit underneath my helmet. So my lungs start to contract, and then when I could breathe in, I could feel water in my lungs. So I could I could feel that that bubbly pneumonia kind of a feeling uh, in my lungs as I'm breathing. I'm I'm like, fuck, this is bad. This is not cool. And I was so exhausted because one thing I didn't mention here, this was my fourth time going up the mountain that day because we had to go every time that the bike broke, we had to go back down to base camp all the way up. I mean, I've been riding for 12 hours at that point. Uh, I was exhausted. Um, so And this was a training day that I wasn't expecting to go this hard. And so my lungs are contracting. And I look out and there's a massive, massive snowstorm coming. You could see it. It was like a movie. Like the billowing clouds were bigger than the mountains. They were so huge and it was close. And I'm looking, I'm talking to my guides. I'm like, look, 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 look. And they're, oh shit. Like we need to get off this mountain right now. And we're going and I'm like, well, I need proof. I need to, I got to prove. So we have to make our video of, you know, the, that Guinness uh, asked us to make. And there's a certified app that I have to use and a GPS coordinates and all sorts of stuff to prove our route. Uh, so we're, we're watching this snowstorm coming in and we're trying to make this video and everything that's running in my head was like um, <laughs> uh, Into Thin Air. So there's the book oh, Into yeah.
0: Thin Air. Yeah. And it
1: talks about how they were at the top looking out and they saw the snowstorm they saw yeah. the storm coming and, and it looked it didn't look that bad it didn't look that destructive it just looked like a storm they could tell it was a storm mm-hmm. and so they started going down hastily but not as fast as they should have if they mm-hmm. would have known the destructive power of the storm coming and that was what was running through my head because i was reading that book every day while i was up there oh am I'm Was going to know about that
0: choice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, we yeah. don't know what we're in for right now. Yeah. And I don't have the gear for, you know, I'm not on the top of Everest with that kind of gear. I, I have motorcycle riding gear, good gear, but not, not yes. snowstorm in the Andes at 20,000 feet kind of gear. So uh, we made our video and I hauled ass as fast as I could down the mountain uh, on that bike. I really, I really took it another year, uh, pun intended. Um, and yeah, we, we made it, uh, went through the snow, uh, got past, uh, the snowstorm and, uh, but there's no way that we were going to do, do an attempt in two days, you know, because the snowstorm, the conditions that we were in were okay. It was actually, uh, yes, it was brutal conditions, but it was a nice day comparatively. Like we had, the sun was out the, like, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And those were in a nutshell, the farthest that we were, we were going to get. Uh, because the conditions were a lot better than the snowstorm conditions coming in. So that was the highest that we were going to get. And we ended up calling it a day uh, during that training day, which was, which was a, it was a mind, sorry to cuss, but it was a mind fuck for me because I'm going, I just, I failed at something so big again, which we can get, you can listen to my other uh, interview, uh, you know, episode 66, I fail, 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 fail fail at something again and I succeeded in a weird way you know like I, I was so resourceful and I, and I made it happen by the way this has not been confirmed by Guinness so I cannot claim yet to yeah. have the world record until they uh, confirm this so this is all just saying I made it to this this is higher than anyone's ever made it uh, according to me and they have to confirm that before it's actually a Guinness world record. I just want to stay totally above board. Yep. Um, but I mean, I went there to break the ultimate Guinness world record to make the, you know, the, the motorcycle highest altitude achieved by motorcycle period. And mm-hmm. I didn't get it. And, uh, and that feeling of half success was a weird, weird mm. feeling mm. of, you know, I, I, I was like, I'm not elated. That's for damn sure. I'm not super pumped, but I'm proud. I was like, what, what am I? I was like, I know I'm a lot, I'm not a lot of things, but what am I? And at the end of the day, I came to two words, which were proud and at peace. Hmm. I was at peace with everything that had happened because everything that had gone wrong, and this is the short version, because we don't have enough time for everything that went wrong, but everything went wrong. And I was resourceful as hell. Mm-hmm. I, I, used mm-hmm. everything in my wheelhouse to make this happen. and the fact that it didn't happen has nothing to do with me. It has to do with a computer system. And that's not, I I can't control that and everything that I could control, I did great at and my team did great at, and I'm proud of that. And I think that's, that's where peace comes from is knowing peace. When it comes to uh, an experience like this is knowing that you did everything possible in your training uh, when you were there it's like, uh, you know, going into a boxing match or anything else. If you trained every day, 5 a.m., you were up working hard, you know that even if you lose, you did everything in your capability. You did everything in your power to make sure it was a win. The only time that I ever feel bad when I lose or fail is if I think, oh, if I just would have got up early and done a little bit more training, if I just mm. would have had, you know, if I would have gotten a little bit more money from my sponsors or whatever. No, this one, I'm at peace. I I crushed it, uh, as much as it could possibly have been
0: crushed. Uh, and I feel proud of that. Oh man. Thanks for sharing all that chase. That, that was great to hear every, every piece of that. I think it was as valuable to hear for me and, um, my listeners and, um, hell yes, lifers out there. I don't know if your gears are turning about you. I mean, maybe you're not going to go to the top of a mountain with a motorcycle and try to make uh, you know, break a world record, but I wonder if your gears might be turning about your mission, your expedition in 2020. I know that mine is. And I maybe wanted to kind of unpack a little bit, Chase, uh, some, some of, uh, kind of go all the way back to the beginning um, to, uh, I'm thinking of a book by Chris Gillibo, the guy that does yeah. the world domination. I know scene. Chris. You know He's Chris? Yeah. 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 He, I mean, I read his book, The Happen, Happiness of Pursuit. I have that literally right on my floor right now. I just I just have that in my hands.
1: Like okay, right perfect.
0: Before. Yeah, I mean what you what you um were just describing just made me think of that, like all the people that he features in that book who, you know, hey, I I'm I'm gonna walk across America and, you know, or I'm gonna do X, you know, I had somebody on the podcast that made an origami thing every day for um a year and et cetera. So so w- for people that are out there thinking about this maybe talk, tell me a little talk a little bit about the expedition or the mission you know um to to do something uh and and what what made you choose this what made you decide that you wanted to do this in the first place yeah i mean
1: i think that it's really important for people to push their edges and and when i say people i mean me uh uh i every year i do something really hard and and sometimes that looks like a, an adventure Externally, other times that looks like a vipassana meditation course. Uh, going internal, there, there's a writing a book. It, it could be so many different things. Yeah. Um, but either way, they still follow the same blueprint for how to achieve something that you you're not sure if it's even possible. Because uh, first of all, creating the possibility that's like step number one. Which means if you think that it's impossible, you're not even going to try. There's no point in this. But if you think that it's possible, not probable, not you're definitely going to be able to do it, but just that it's even possible to be done that someone else in history has done something similar. So it's possible that you could do this as well. Even if you have a million excuses, like I do always it's possible. So creating the possibility for yourself is number one. And the way that I personally do that is I, I look back on all of on who I was uh, let's say seven, eight, nine years ago. And I think like, that person would never in a million years think that my life is possible. Mm-hmm. Things that I do, mm-hmm. the way that I, the way of being, the, the way that I communicate, the way that I, I just, the way that I am in my lifestyle, it's, it's not even a remote possibility. So knowing that if the transformation can go from that to this, what can this to the next thing be? Right. And, and knowing that that's likely impossible for, for my puny little human brain to conceive right now whatever that may be and so basically the the shortened version of that is anything is possible uh which is a little corny but i like to believe it because if you want something bad enough you really work towards it i i believe that just about anything is possible i mean there are some things that are just like athletics like our physical ability i'm not going to go join the nba uh is it possible? Yeah, technically, but it's a very low technicality. So, anyways, I want to keep on Don't want to get off track. So, first is creating possibility. Uh, the second is making the decision of what you actually like, what you really want, and why. So, with this, what I really wanted was to do something incredibly hard aligned with something that I love. That was like the core element of it. So what I really love is motorcycles and traveling. And I yeah. thought, okay, well I could ride across America. I could ride across Af- the continent of Africa, across Asia. I could fix up my dad's old motorcycle and ride it somewhere far away. And I go, I don't got time for that. Like I don't have three months. I'm sorry, but I don't. And I got a businesses to run and, and, and a life. So I go, okay, what's something shorter that I could do in two weeks or less? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well let's look at world records, you know, and start thinking about it. And so I, uh, I started looking at Motorcycle World Records. Altitude was like an obvious one for me. I love mountaineering. I'm experienced. And I love motorcycles. It's like, let's do it. So step two is done. Step three is the planning stage. So the planning stage is where you figure out how much money does this cost? Basically going step by step of our biggest excuses. So I don't have enough money. Okay, how much money does this cost? I don't have enough time. Okay, what time of year would I do this and how long would it actually take to do this? And then going down the, the list of where would I be doing this? What mountain would I do it on? Uh, what kind of, a, like who has done this in the past? How have they accomplished it? Just going through of like the planning stages that you don't have to get incredibly detailed. It's just figuring out the basics of how much does it cost? What time of year would I be doing this? How long would it take? And, you know, the the basics of whatever the individual uh, expedition mission uh, or bucket list item even is. So now that you've uh, created the possibility and you've decided what you want to do and why you want to do it, you've created the plan of the how or at least the like what it would take to actually do it. The one of the most challenging parts is the doing it. So Mm -hmm. like, I mean, this is, this is something that people get stuck on all the time due to excuses, which it seems like that'd be the easiest part, right? It seems like the easiest part would be writing an email to a sponsor and saying a potential sponsor and saying, Hey, here's what my plan is. Here's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, here, and here's what I can offer you. Uh, if you were to give me product, these products and, and this amount of money, hopefully. And, uh, most people would think that that would be the easy part, but it's not. It's actually the, probably, in my opinion, the hardest part. Uh, anybody can wish on a birthday candle, but doing the work necessary to make that happen is a whole nother animal. And yeah. so the the way that I personally, and it's easier for me, I, I'm not going to lie because I've done this and I've practiced this for so many years of making that decision, the, uh, excuse me, make, taking that action. Um, The way that I've done this in the past when it was much more challenging for me is making micro steps towards (laughs) my, towards my goals. So for in the past when it would be maybe uh, traveling, like I wanted to complete a bucket list item, but I was scared I didn't have enough money. I would book a hostel for $12 a night and I would book it for six nights. And I'm like, okay, I've spent money. I've decided to do this thing. And and I took research, you know, I, I spent hours trying to find the perfect hostel because I was a perfectionist. And I made a decision. Once you click that button, once you take the first step, it's like writing a book. Once you start writing, it's so much easier. But it's that first sentence, that first bit that you need to get your, um, you know, get your mind right to, to take on. And so for something like this, for a mission, for an expedition, uh, that looked like emailing sponsors who I didn't know and who I never thought that I would even get a response from. So I I emailed massive companies like Pepsi and uh, you know Red Bull and GoPro. And, uh, you know, yeah, Honda, Harley Davidson, all, all these people who I was like, there's no way that they're going to respond. So it was almost like a free pass of like, okay, I'm going to try and then they're going to not respond. And then I'm going to probably be able to just forget about all this. <laughs> uh, and so I did get responses though. I, uh, I
0: <laughs> You're like, ah, damn, and they responded. Like, yeah,
1: exactly. But, but it was, there's only a tiny part of my brain that said, gosh, darn uh, yeah. And that was the scared, small part of my brain. Yeah. everything else lit up, and I was so excited yeah and uh, and then I started to be more strategic around my planning and how I was actually doing this. you know I wrote, I had a copy and paste email, and then I changed words. you know so it was like all of the motorcycle companies i didn 't have a motorcycle remember this i don 't own a motorcycle, so I had to literally get a motorcycle for this, which a brand new motorcycle is a lot of money. And so asking for something like that, for a guy who's not known as a motorcycle rider, you look at any of my social media, you will not see one picture of a motorcycle. So when they're looking like, who is this guy? Like we literally, these companies sent the best riders in the world. World champions didn't get as high as I did. Like literally three-time world champion uh, went up there and didn't get as high with a team of 30 people. They, They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on expeditions like this. I had like, uh, less than 10 grand total, uh, for flights, food, uh, everything. And, uh, and a motorcycle with two guys and, and we went up there, you know, like that's, and I'm proud of that, you know, that, that other guys have, have have dedicated so much money, the best guys in the world. And, uh, I'm just really proud of, even though I didn't have the money, didn't have the, uh, the team, I'm proud of my team. It wasn't the same, not 30 people. Um, we still, we took a shot at it, you know, and we took our best shot at it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm happy about that because swinging big, there's something special about making big, bold steps, Mm -hmm. even if you, because there is no failure. So like, if, if I go after this and I don't make it to the top, which I didn't get to my original goal, I'm still on this podcast talking to you. Yeah. I'm still like, like at the end of the day, I did something big and it didn't cost me a dollar. It just took me a lot of probably three years off of my lifespan from stress and, uh, and, and a little bit of time. But the experience that I got from taking a huge swing like this is I'm a changed man. Like I'm, yeah. I, I feel so much more confident, capable now that I've right. dealt with, with so many challenges
0: Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like you've pushed your, you know, here's your comfort zone and that's way out of your comfort zone. And now you've gone way out there and now your comfort zone is way out here. Like, like, well, heck, if I could do that, then this thing in here that was a little I'm uncomfortable, pushing. it's like no I'm problem. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. So now it's, for example, a perfect example of that is skydiving. First time I went skydiving, I was scared. Now throw me in an airplane, throw me out of an airplane, whatever. It's no big deal. My comfort zone has already expanded beyond that. But then you say, okay, now, so if there's any adventurers, any, any extreme sports people listening to this whatsoever, understand that the adventure externally technically is limitless, but there's at some point you go, okay, I've done almost everything there is to do. There is no limit to the adventure within. That's what I have found is, mm-hmm. okay, cool. You think like, it, it's not about if you take a, uh, a, a professional speaker, for example, you put him on stage that's not, that's, that's totally within his wheelhouse. And he keeps going more. Maybe he was scared at the beginning, but now it's more people, more people, more people. You get, you take that guy and you put him into a silent meditation retreat where he can't talk for 10 days <laughs> that you, you take the opposite. You, you have an extrovert. If you're an extrovert, then yeah. you focus yeah. the event that if you want to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, where growth is, Then you go to the opposite. If you are an introvert and you're very quiet and you don't feel comfortable in front of groups, which all of those things aren't mutually exclusive, but uh, you want to you want to push yourself and grow, opposite, get into the different wheelhouse. If you're a hippie and you're you know totally about surrender and the feminine, take a take a martial arts class, go get your ass kicked, and like go take a boxing class or or do something very ultra masculine. Go climb a mountain. Like no matter who you are the yang to your yin Mm. is going to be where your growth is. And we all Mm. think that that pushing our edges where we've always pushed them is going to be our growth edge. And that's not true. Our biggest growth edge is the areas that we avoid that we fear. And we focus so much on our strengths that we just go, Oh, I'm always pushing my edges. No, no, no. You go down to the stuff that you don't like the vulnerable conversations that you're too scared to have. That's the real stuff. That's the growth edge
0: for you ooh you got me you got me kind of sh- cringing a little bit, thinking about some of that I'm thinking about like oh man, maybe it's not like uh you know going on a a, a mountain track it's taking a tango class or having yeah. uh going to a networking you know it's funny, I love public speaking, but it's really those networking conversations that's like, oh, so anyway, but they got me got i hope hopefully hell yes lifers you we've got you thinking here to start off uh twenty twenty to start off the 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 new decade. Let's do something hard, you know, something hard but valuable and that will stretch us um, and expand our comfort zones and make us feel uh, proud and peaceful in the end. Mm. So um, I think we could keep going, Chase, you know, to talk about your, how do you, you know, the whole world record thing, but I think we we uh, need to wind it down for now. Um, oh, I good. will say this, I'll just go ahead and say it on the air. One of the things for me, uh, I found in my process is, and I don't know if this was the case with you, with with this uh, this particular process, is like, is there a point where, making it real by putting it out there and telling people about it is okay. That's the next step. I I, I know yeah, that there's, it a,
1: depends on a person. It really depends on the person. So yeah. for me,
0: I, so if
1: you struggle with uh, like integrity of word and you also care what other people think, definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have that struggle personally. So I'm actually opposite. I kept it secret for three months because I didn't want to, like, I knew I was going to do this, but I wanted to make sure that my possibility in my brain actually translated to the real world. And so yeah. I wanted to make sure it was, it was actually possible for me to do this before I announce it to people. Because yeah. me, when I decide I want to do something, I do it. I, I'm, not a, I'm not like some people. That's not a challenge for me. Um, so I would say, and I also don't care a lot what people think of me. Um, Which is really beneficial but also challenging in some ways. And so, if I were to say something online, like, and I, that's not gonna get me to do it more. I'm not gonna be waking up at the end of the day, early in the morning, and and sending more emails because I told people about it. That's not for me. But for a lot of people, that is incredibly helpful. So, if you do care what people think about, heck yeah, tell your family even if you don't want to post on social media, tell personal friends. And also here's one little thing that people don't do. And I want to share. It's so important is to ask for help.
0: Mm -hmm. So I could
1: have never, ever, 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 ever done this without the help of other people. I, I, I I can't express. It's not just about the money and the gear. It's about the, the support. I, I didn't, my guides were because the Instagram manager of Suzuki Chile had a cousin whose friend was partners with my motorcycle guide and his cousin was the, uh, the mountain guide. And it's, it's when people maybe can't even help you themselves, I always ask, do you know someone who might be able to help? If they don't mm-hmm. have the money, I say the same thing.
0: Yeah. There's something about this mission sort of, um, that, that you and other, you know, I've read about other people and talked to other people that have, have undergone this, that people want to help, right? Like there's something uh, compelling about a a mission or an expedition.
1: They want to be a part of
0: it. Yeah. They want to be a part of it. And there's something, um, a giving part of us as humans, I think that we want to contribute to somebody else's success. Right. So
1: especially big things I've like big. really that's bigger. Like I've, I've done a lot of things in the past and I've never ever felt the support that I felt for something. And I've also never done anything this big, but I've never felt the support that I felt during this mission. It was so big and so audacious that I think people really paid attention. Their, their heads turned and people who I didn't know were messaging me on Facebook. Literally I've never met them. I never even uh, knew them as Facebook friends. Really. They just were somehow Facebook friends. Hey, what's your Venmo? I'd love to send you $200. Oh, wow. uh, you know, to help you, you know, like literally that happened multiple times where I think I probably had six people give me cash uh, that I didn't know. That's it that's insane. That's a that concept is is totally, you know, foreign to me. So to to have the support was was eye-opening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the resourcefulness piece that, you know, it kept coming up as a theme in your story. And then at 30 days out, you were kind of like, I've got 600 bucks. I don't have anything going on here. And it, it sounds like everything sort of started to come together in that, uh, you know, in the run up to leaving. Right.
1: So, well, there was no, I had no other option. I, at that point, it was everyone who said that they were interested in sponsoring me. I said, Hey, I need a decision. I like, I, I appreciate your consideration so much. And there really isn't any more time. I don't have a flight. I don't have a motorcycle. I don't have anything. I need this done. And it, and that fire under my ass forced me to put yeah. a fire under other people's ass. And I said, we're doing this. This is happening. And I need your support. I'm $500 short. That was kind of my thing. Is like, I, I asked for $500 from a lot of different companies.
0: People <laughs> I'm still 500. Of- yeah. Right. Cause if you yeah. say you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm $8,000 sure It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Right. Exactly. And you can get me to that. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And I had CEOs who paid out of their own pocket uh, for some companies, including, including big companies that literally out of their own pocket from their own Venmo, not from their business. They, they sent me that money cause they believed in the mission they were, they were like, this is really cool. And this is really big. And I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. and I want to be a part of it.
0: Well, awesome, Chase. I mean, I think we'll wind it down there. Uh, I think we could have a, another episode in the future. Can't wait to hear what your next adventures will be. And all, uh Hell Yes Lifers listening, um, I'll, I'll be sure and include an update at some point uh, once Chase confirms whether he got the world record or not. It doesn't really matter, Chase, one way or the other. The adventure still is all yours and um, I always oh and and uh, check out the bucketlistlifestyle.com dot com if you want to have well you don 't have to go on a, a, this kind of adventure, but uh, Chase has all kinds of amazing trips uh, coming up in two thousand and twenty. Uh, so check that out. Anything else that you wanted to say before we go or any, any, any I mean,
1: just, just know, know that, uh, you know, if you want to have an experience, my trips are fun, affordable. You get to experience culture with amazing people. It's all application only, positive people only. So if you're a positive human being, uh, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, and you want to go on an adventure with me, we've got to Thailand, Peru, all sorts of adventures that aren't negative 38 degrees in the mountains. Don't worry. They're comfy. Right. You're right, uh, right. Yeah, if you want to yeah. join yeah. uh, hit me up feel free to add me and follow me on Facebook
0: and Instagram as well um, that's great great and we'll include links in the show notes as usual well Chase I always like to wrap things up by saying hell yes on the count of three with my guests are you ready to do that I'm yeah. ready alright let's do it one two three hell, hell yes yeah. <laughs> alright alright Chase thanks so much alright see you Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Hell Yes Life podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite RSS feed. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review. And if you want to stay connected, visit hellyeslife.com and sign up for the e-newsletter and private Facebook group. Again, I'm Norman Bell. Thanks for joining me. Now let's get out there and live a hell yes life.